You are listening to Zen and the Art of Triathlon. Hey there, all you triathlon studs and studettes, and welcome to another great episode of Zen and the Art of Triathlon, the podcast where we go long on endurance and learn a lot about ourselves along the way. We are at mountain bike races this morning. Kai, my 15-year-old son, is on the high school mountain bike team. And it's a composite team, so there's like middle schoolers and everything. And we are at the first race of the season, and it is awesome. I'm recording in the car right now because it's this huge campground mountain bike course scenario, and there's generators running. And I wanted to have a moment of quiet before I go out there and get all the racket and everything, so I can explain actually what's going on. Have a nice intro to the show, and. Yeah, I think that's uh, enough quiet time <laughs> right here. We need to get outside here in a second. But it's Emily and myself and Kai. And uh, Emily and I slept in the car overnight. We have a Volkswagen Atlas, a 2020 or 2019. And it is wonderful. And one of the reasons we bought it is because it's long enough inside with the back seats down that I'm six foot three. And I had extra headroom. And then with the panoramic sunroof open, it was just so cool in here, sleeping overnight. And bike racks on the back. And I think his team probably has about 20-something kids on it. And there's people from all over Texas here at the race. And after uh, we cover the race, then we will have audio of, uh, of my training log of stuff I've been doing lately. And uh, that, that's what will round out the second half of the show. But anyway, ooh, there's Cobb Cycling. Huh. I wonder if they're from the Tyler area. Anyway, we uh, will cover more details as we get going uh, with the show. Kai is, it's 8.30 right now, and Kai is racing at 10. And it's wave after wave after wave of kids. Uh, we adults rode the uh, course with them, coaches that were parents that are coaching, which I am one of them, uh, are, uh, were allowed to, to ride the course with the kids, uh, yesterday. And so I got to ride the course a couple laps and I was exhausted because I also biked three hours yesterday morning <laughs> and I blew up towards the end of it. And so I was pouring in sweat and, uh, legs blown out and I'm trying to bike up this tiny little hill and I got middle schoolers passing me. They're probably like, why do you suck so bad? I'm like, I don't. You have no idea. You don't know me <laughs> and, my, and my problems. All right, that's, uh, that's it for now. Let's go ahead and get started, hopefully, with some uh, race audio. I got to go get some breakfast out. All right, this is really exciting. I'm, I was working my way down to the uh, start line for the mountain bike race, and I saw the grit table, and I've been hearing about grit. Uh, but I didn't even actually knew what it meant. I knew it was women's and girls cycling, but I didn't know actually what it was about. And then y'all started handing out to me flyers about a women's riding clinic. And then so I asked if I could interview Annie about uh, what's going on and what this is all about. So what is this, this grit stuff I keep hearing all about? How long has it been around and how to get started? Uh, grit is actually a national 
uh, initiative. It started last year, so this is our second year. We started when the league, when the national. Okay, so it wasn't just me that this is new, (laughs) (laughs) and I'm behind the curve. Uh, No, I I wouldn't say that. I mean, we we started pretty small last year, just doing the grip pre-ride pretty Uh much. Um, doing the same thing this year, but the the goal behind it is, and what GRIT stands for, is Girls Ride Together. Um, and the goal is, in by 2023, to increase female participation in the league by 33 to 33%. Okay, and the league is uh, the NICA League, or...? Um, nationally and all the individual state level leagues okay. to get everybody up to 33% participation okay. for female athletes and coaches. Okay, cool. Yeah. yeah. Like our team has a lot of female coaches and it's exciting because and then the girls feel like they've got mm-hmm. uh, adult leadership to, right. they're not alone. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so this, this uh, flyer I got was for moms to, oh, at the Warda. Um, what's the date of that race? It's, uh, it's race number March three. 8. March 8th at, in Warda, Texas at the Bluff Creek Bike Ranch, which I love. That was the first real bike ranch I ever went to. Yeah, it's, fun. Uh, it's fantastic for uh, mob, moms on bikes, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> uh, beginner skills clinic. And, uh, yeah, when I first started mountain biking, my friends would make fun of me because my wife is better than I am immediately. Like with, And I was riding all the time, and she barely rode, but she has just such better balance. Mm-hmm that she would go down stuff that I was scared to go down. <laughs> and then she would go and they go, man, you got to go now. <laughs> and I was like, crap, because it was scary. Yeah. Uh, and uh, she's really, really good. So. But uh, her mountain bikes from the 90s, we need to get her updated. Yeah. 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 So this is really cool. Well, thanks for talking to me. Absolutely. And now I know what grit is and I can share it with all the listeners. And mob is, we're going to have a mob, right? Moms on bikes. Mm-hmm. It's not just for moms. Mm-hmm. It's uh, anybody who wants to improve their skills. So moms, yeah. sisters, yeah. aunts, okay. and females when, in general. So it's uh, 3 p.m. on March 8th, mm-hmm. which is, is that the day before the race? or it's, that's Yeah, it's Saturday. Oh, cool. Mm-hmm. Okay. Oh, y'all, we had that here too, right? Well, we had some moms join the grit ride, which yeah. is from 1 to 2. Um, every race, we, we get the, uh, the pre-ride an hour early yeah. just for grit ladies. Yeah. Um, so... We're going to do that still at Warda, and then at 3 o'clock, we'll do um, a skills clinic. So what's your history of mountain bike racing? Um, I started back in college in the 90s, yeah. um, and I rode with a bunch of guys yeah. for about 30 seconds, yeah. and then I'd see them at the end. Yeah. Um, yeah, so and then yeah, you want more girls racing. Right. Yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. So... Um, I transitioned to road biking because there were just more ladies there. Um, But I missed the dirt, so I came back. So what do you think about, uh, I was listening to a podcast, they're talking about gravel riding, and right now, because it's not sanctioned, the women ride with the guys. And they start off with the guys, and it's kind of like a triathlon, which I have a long history in. Look, here you go. Here's a future grit. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) She looks like she's two or three on a Cannondale pedaling along. Uh-huh. No training wheels. Balance. That's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, and they're wondering with the gravel riding how long, hopefully how long that'll last, that the women are starting with the guys and can and not try to start breaking people up mm-hmm. without thinking about it first, just assuming that they need to go shorter and, or whatever, you know, or go behind everybody and give them the fair chance that they deserve. Yeah. And like an Ironman, they do the same distance as the guys and they always have yeah. and um, 
I was watching GCN and the Tour Down Under. There is full-length race video of the Tour Down Under every stage of the women's race, yeah. which is awesome. It's amazing. And then the guys' race, actually not. It's not free to watch. It's just the highlights video, and I guess you got to subscribe. And so I'm not watching the guys because <laughs> I don't want to pay for it, so I'm watching the women's race, and it's fantastic. Absolutely, yeah. You know, women's professional cycling is just as tough as the men's professional yeah. racing. Yeah, um, hopefully they'll get the Tour de France back I was, I or was women. Just about to say that. There was yeah. one woman where I've read uh, that they said that could definitely keep up with the guys yeah. and, and uh, could do it. Yeah. And um, we need more of that. And I think it's just the it's the volume of people Absolutely. that when you get more people riding, you're going to find those people, just yeah. like with guys. Yeah. Well, it's becoming more mainstream. Yeah. So you know, for for my generation, we started later in life. Um, yeah, you don't have that history. Right. By we the time you're. 16 or mm-hmm, 18 mm-hmm. that muscle of, memory of yeah. 10,000 hours right yeah. yeah so I think uh, I think it's going to explode here pretty soon like that girl that yeah. just rode by it, oh yeah she's going to be incredible absolutely because somebody put her on a bike mm-hmm. without thinking mm-hmm. that she shouldn't right yeah yeah awesome yeah. Well, it was nice no to meet barriers. you yeah it's great to meet you yeah. thank you all right Kai's mountain bike race is over let's go ahead and review it it's a few days later he got seventh place out of like 40 and he started towards the back and he worked his way up to the front i got comments on the type of mountain bike he's riding you know like tire size and all that stuff but before i forget man it's cold outside i'm leaving the pool i got a swim tip for y'all i'm leaving the pool and i did something today i do it a lot of days to get in more swim volume in the same amount of time as everybody else getting more yards because endurance is a volume game and in the pool a lot of adult onset swimmers have uh, the habit of hanging out at the end of the pool and chatting and it happens to me too Uh, if if, either I recognize somebody and I'll start talking but uh, I've tried to avoid that and then Uh, The other thing is somebody recognizes you or asks you a question and then you got to answer the question and then you end up talking and da-da-da-da-da. Yada, yada, yada. (laughs) Anyway, the trick is when you get to the pool and you start to swim, you're about to start swimming, take all of your your swim bag of goodies, like if you have any uh, drill tools like paddles and fins and kickboard and stuff like that, and I have a, a cup of ice water. Today it was iced green tea. And take it to the opposite end of the pool of everybody else. Where everybody else is uh, keeping all their stuff. And then start all your swimming from that end of the pool instead. And now every time you stop, there's nobody there. There's nobody f- to interrupt you and start talking. And there's nobody to... Uh, for you to start talking to, there's nobody to to ask you if they can share the, your lane and all that other stuff, and you just swim. It's okay. It really works. It's really amazing. Uh, people ask me all the time how I get in such uh, large volume numbers. I swam 4,000 yards today, 4,025 nonstop. Although I did uh, stop to um, get a sip of water, my green tea. Uh, every 10, 15 minutes or so. I was thirsty this morning because I ran outside last night and got a little dehydrated. 
And uh, at the other end of the pool, there was these guys that usually talk to me. And I cut that off at the legs. Okay. Let's see. Kai's race, he started at 10 a.m. And uh, it's a very slight uphill uh, start. And mountain biking, you know, it's a mass start. Probably, yeah, 40 people in his wave. And they seed them at the front based on uh, last year's times. For the first race of this year, they seed you on last year's times. And Kai didn't race mountain biking last year. He did other stuff. We did Xterras and all that. So he, uh, he had no seed time, so they naturally seeded him at the back, which he was not excited about. And it's not only that, uh, do you have to pass all these people in front of you that are slower than you, probably, maybe, I don't know, and depends on you. And uh, the other thing is the races have already started with other waves, so it doesn't help. <laughs> it's already bad enough is what I'm saying, that you got to pass people. Uh, that are on the course, that uh, eighth graders and middle schoolers and stuff that are having trouble and are just not as fast, and you've got to um, get past them, which is really difficult in mountain biking. That's part of it. Is as you get to be an older adult, you get really good at pleasantly asking when you're out mountain biking, you know, just for fun. As soon as you get behind somebody that's slower than you, you go, "Hey, can I pass?" Like that. That's what I say. Mind if I pass? And they're like, oh, yeah. Instead of waiting and waiting and freewheeling and hoping that they hear you. Uh, as you get, like, in your 40s, you realize life is short. <laughs> Start asking. So it's a skill. I had to get around people. So if I was Kai's age, knowing what I know now, I would say, hey, can I pass? Like that. Passing. Or just demand it. Passing. Like that. And if they respond, good. If they don't respond, well, at least you try. Anyway, uh, let's see. It was two laps of a four-and-a-half-mile course, I think. And uh, so it took them 40-something minutes, and it had cool little obstacles and stuff. It's a really neat uh, course uh, with some history behind it. It's a Texas cattle ranch where the, the owner had two boys that were in the mountain biking. It's out in the middle of nowhere and were really talented. And so they started building uh, bike courses on their own property. And next thing you know, they became famous for it and everybody starts practice, practicing there. And now there's races there. The Beckett boys, I think, or Sackett, Sackett, S-A-C-K-E or I-T-T, Sackett Ranch. It's a pretty neat story. Anyway, they... Uh, took off. Kai uh, <clears throat> immediately was passing people. And then you don't see him for a while. And Emily and I are running around trying to get pictures and, and uh, video. And then after the race, um, the type of questions I asked were, um, did you crash at all? Nope, never crashed. That's pretty good. That had some tough obstacles on it. Uh, did you, Were you tired at the end? See, that, that tells me if his training is good. And he said, nope. Uh, first loop, he said he felt sick. And what he made a mistake uh, that I had to point out to him afterwards. Uh, they had a team breakfast, and Emily 
uh, had taken Kai to go get breakfast tacos down where all the food vendor stuff was, and he and that's uh, fatty, greasy stuff. And the team breakfast that Kai missed, and they were looking for him, was oatmeal and berries and you know good stuff and for racing. And uh, but Kai wore a Camelback with water in it, and I told him, well, the water in the Camelback probably helped um, dilute his um, that food. So normally I wouldn't wear a Camelback with water unless it was hot, and it was not hot. But because uh, it's such a short race, you don't really need it. But accidentally, this time it was smart because it helped dilute uh, the food and made him feel better. And on the second lap, he felt great. And that's really cool. So training is pretty good. Training spot on. His One of his coaches afterwards, and then, oh, by the way, I got pulled into being a coach. <laughs> and, yeah, so here we go again. And... The uh, one of the coaches asked, "What is Kai's training plan?" And because I didn't have time opportunity to think about it, what am I doing like training Kai? Because they're they're shocked at how good Kai is because he he's uh, new to the team and he was like their second or first fastest kid or something like that on the entire team maybe. And um, I said, "Oh, you know, you know, we train together and." Um, we do long bike rides, sort of, and on occasion I'll have them do like an interval ride on the indoor trainer. Um, don't we uh, didn't sign up for uh, any morning sports that are really early, so he gets lots of sleep, and yada yada yada. As I said earlier, um, there's uh, I don't know, you know, uh, just really smart uh, rest and recuperation and training at the right times and uh, not not doing too much um, but doing the right stuff but not too much of the wrong stuff and I said oh okay now looking now with time passed I realized the thing I should have added in there is Kai rides his bike everywhere he loves riding his bike and he grew up on a bicycle on purpose I, I made that happen and he bikes to school, he bikes home from school, he bikes to go see his friends, he bikes to go see his girlfriend. Um, we purposefully live in a neighborhood where everything's connected by sidewalks and bike paths. Uh, we purposefully live in a city where there's a lot of bike lanes and Kai's car <laughs> is his bike and he just bikes everywhere and I think the sheer volume of how much he rides is really high and it's playful riding and his friends are all bikers and they do dumb stunts on bikes and that's how they go have fun is they go ride bikes and that's probably um, a lot of it that's probably like 80% of it is just sheer volume of playing around okay so bike uh, bike gear that's interesting is he was on a not a cross country race bike hardtail uh, but on a full suspension, it's a giant, oh, what's it called? Um, it's about an $1,800, $1,600 um, full suspension trail bike, not a cross-country bike. And trail bikes are made uh, for a little bit more crazy riding, like stunt kind of stuff, just a little bit more. Um, it's not an enduro bike, and it's definitely not a downhill bike. Oh, my gosh. 
And the interesting thing about his bike is he's riding on plus-size tires. So 650B uh, plus-size, which are these bigger tires and with uh, full suspension. And it turns out he's really fast on it, like really fast compared to these uh, two-niner, little bit skinnier tires, or much skinnier tires, um, uh, hard tails and stuff like that. And I think, honestly, it gives them more uh, confidence in the turns and better traction, even though it's a heavier, slightly heavier bike and it doesn't climb as good. Um, there's the belief right now that uh, mountain bike courses are getting more technical and more like more obstacles and more silly crap in it and uh that kind of stuff favors a um a uh a bigger wider tires and and more suspension uh and softer tires uh, for better control and confidence uh, going up and over stuff so i don't know uh, there's a lot of podcasts out right now talking about tire size and rolling resistance and bigger is definitely better uh, most of the time. It's just not very aerodynamic, but in mountain biking, eh, you know, whatever. So it's just really interesting. Um, we, after the race, I looked at a lot of the videos and I'm, and a lot of the kids are on uh, in the front, towards the front, are on... 29ers with a little bit the skin, the normal mountain bike tire, a little skinnier tires, not plus size tires, and a mix of hardtail and, and uh, uh, light rear suspension and more uh, cross country style geometry. And we uh, put Kai on my bike, switched out my bike, which is a hardtail cross country bike, um, 29er with uh, narrower tires than his, and. He tried it and didn't like it. I said, it's faster. It's proven to be faster. And you can lock out the front fork with a thumb switch. And his has a uh, no front lockout with a thumb switch, but it's got a dropper post. Mine doesn't have a dropper post. And I said, just try it. And I went for a run and then came back and did some stuff and whatever. And then I found that my bike, all the his bike was switched back, uh, his grips and everything, uh, for him to ride on it instead of my bike and I said what happened and he goes I didn't like it <laughs> I was like all right cool whatever he's only a freshman and there's lots of time and I'm not even sure I was right so all right that's it I gotta go inside and we will pick up with the train more of the training log here in a second be right back all right Time to start a new training log. Had an epic run this morning, and I wanted to share it with all y'all. <laughs> Southern plural possessive. And I'm on my way to W to the ERK. Only swam yesterday, and then uh, did Kai's Boy Scout meeting last night. I'm an adult leader in this Boy Scout troop. So did a bunch of that. Got to adjust the steering wheel here because Kai was driving. He's got his learner's permit. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> Which is both scary and nice 
because now I don't have to drive everywhere. I can sit in the passenger seat and do other stuff and give give advice, which apparently that's all I do anyway. But let's see, epic run. I finished my run this morning, running at the same pace to do a 10 hour, sub 10 hour uh, Ironman. And you may say, what's that pace? And it's about an eight and a half minute mile for the marathon. So uh, there's standards that if you, if you know them, you set your goals on them and uh, you try to attain those. I've got a really cool standard here. I'll talk about in a second, the 440 Watts average for an hour if you want to uh, let me move this bag right here if you want to try to take the hour record on the bike <laughs> you know riding around a uh, velodrome for an hour I think Bradley Wiggins averaged 440 watts there's a cool video on GCN where they have three different types of riders they have a amateur and a a, to- a beginner-ish a novice and that does like to bike, but he doesn't train much. And then a amateur that's pretty good. I'd say kind of like one of us. Here's a car coming, two cars with no headlights on. So one of my advice tips to Kai, don't pull out on a road because without looking twice, because you can't see. Somebody's really coming. Anyway. For an Ironman, if you want to break 10 hours, which is an amazing goal, uh, then it's about an eight and a half minute mile on the run, about a five hour bike, which is like 22 something miles per hour. And then uh, about an hour swim. If you can string all those together, then you are a badass and what's funny is all of those things our swim is that's pretty good that takes lots of uh, technique and years of training but the other two um, you can get relatively quickly if you train right but what's funny is those aren't crazy fast speeds, you know, like if you compare it to the best in the world, like the Olympians and all that stuff, like that hour record, you know, 440 Watts, uh, for me to do a 20, 22 miles per hour on the bike, uh, for a Ironman, I'm averaging about 225 Watts, (laughs) 230 Watts. So about half that, you know, uh, the marathon pace, you know, eight and a half minute mile. Uh, that isn't anywhere near. Every, everything seems to be about half. That's about half of the pace of a uh, of a marathoner. What does a marathoner run in the Olympics? Is it like a five minute mile? Is it less than that? I don't know. But it's it's crazy. So you don't actually have to be uh, talented. You don't have to be gifted as a triathlete to be uh to be competitive at the top end of stuff you just need to be average but then train right 
uh, there is a pickup truck with two black labs in the back of it right here. Very cute, but also illegal within the city limits unless they're tied down. I can't see from here. And let me, let me catch back up here. So I was uh, recovering from injuries, which I've been talking about on pod on podcasts. And uh, the goal is to try to get back up to my running speed. Uh, my cruising speed, I've never run an eight and a half minute mile in an Ironman. I've come close, but I've run a seven something and a half Ironman. <laughs> but the, um, the goal is to get my cruising speed back up where I'm just jogging along and, uh, back to that, that pace, whatever, whatever you do as your easy cruising speed, your zone two jogging along without, without thinking about it too much. Uh, talking while running um, that would be you'd be lucky to hit that pace on the run in an Ironman uh, average uh, I would probably take 15 seconds per mile to half a minute per mile off that uh, add, add to it slower um, and that would probably be your um, average pace if everything goes right because just the bike you're after all that biking you're kind of worn out so you slow down a little bit and you're walking to aid stations and stuff but anywho, uh, this morning, well, let's let's start back. Uh, starting two years ago when I started being injured, trying to figure it out, and then now, um, a, a couple, a few months ago maybe, I started noticing that I was changing up my training a little bit. I was getting smarter about something, and my uh, legs were starting to come back, and my run speeds were picking up and uh, the way I like to run on the I guess it was probably running on the treadmill that did it letting everything heal up running on perfectly flat stuff and uh, predictable controlling all the variables you know so that I could fix things one at a time and the run speed started picking up and I've, I've been keeping track of it on my phone as I run I have a checklist I have an app where I write down my current speed every five minutes on the treadmill my treadmill does a crappy job of doing minute per mile so I write down miles per hour that's what it shows easier and as I write it down I keep a log from the previous ones and I do smiley faces and frowny faces, also emoticons on there if I'm going faster than last time or slower than last time. And it's not, I can always go faster than last time, but that's not smart. You know, I'm not pushing myself. I'm just jogging. And so then I make notes after my run, you know, what was different? Did I, what did I eat different? Did I get more rest? Did I, did I work out less and now I'm faster? You know, stuff like that. And I've got months and months of backlog where I can see my progress, my progression. And today was the past few months. It's been getting massively better. And today I hit 7.1 miles per hour on the treadmill at zone two and a half. Just kind of jogging along a little bit more than jogging along, but, uh, but it was very comfortable. And at an hour at the end, 
what I do is I start off around four miles per hour and I just slowly increase the speed as things start to loosen up and loosen up and loosen up. That way I'm not pushing too hard too early. So the, the first 10, 20 minutes pretty much counts as my warm up. And at the end, I hit 7.1 miles per hour. And when I was done, I looked it up on the treadmill conversion chart. You can look up miles per hour and see what that minute per mile pace is. And it was an 835. Yes, yes, absolutely, yes. And I felt great. Um, no, oh, and the other thing was no pain. Absolutely no pain. And that's a big deal too. So if I'm doing every five minutes, I write down while I'm running, I write down what the, uh, how I feel as well, if there's any weird pains and stuff like that. I got stuff at like 32 minutes and left butt cheek started hurting. <laughs> 15 minutes in, right, you know, foot hurting, right heel hurting. Um, a very crucial thing is your, after about 10 minutes of warming up, I do five and then 10, um, you, you document and compare how fast you're going. How slow you are uh, when you first start going, like during your warm up, if you just start pedaling along or running along or something along, will tell you everything about how your workout should be. If you are slow during your warm-up compared to other times during your warm-up, you are going to have uh, a crappy workout. (laughs) And you ought to consider just um, going easy and letting things loosen up if you do anything at all. And you don't know this, though, unless you are... um, unless you know your beginning speeds and you can compare them and how long it takes you to get, say you're on the bike and my happy speed is around 250 Watts. When I hit 250 Watts on the bike, that means everything's loosened up and I'm feeling good. So I write down how long it takes me to get to 250 Watts. If I get to 250 Watts in less than 10 minutes, then um, it's a good day to do intervals and stuff like that. But if it, takes if it's a real struggle to get to 250 watts and it takes like 15 minutes then um, I got problems and I just need to ride easy okay we will come back and talk about this uh, 440 watt average pace here in just a second be right back all right we are back it's in tri mobile studios do you ever hear that sound that the mud tires on the, um, not really mud tires, off-road tires on the Zentri Mobile Studios. It's really cold outside. It's below freezing this morning. So I think the tires are harder maybe. So they make a little bit more noise. Anyway, stuff to know about your bike tires. Anyway, nice little swim this morning. And I wanted to pick up about that uh, 440 watts I spoke about uh, real time, real life. It's been uh, two days ago, but uh, GCN Global Cycling Network did a, an episode where they took three guys uh, and they tried to see how long they could hold 440 watts because a real world record for how far you can bike in one hour is, I think it's Bradley Wiggins. And 
he still holds a record or somebody's beaten it already. But anyway, it's, I forgot how many miles it is. But to do it, he pedaled uh, 440 watts. <coughs> That's like a you know, microwave for an hour. <laughs> and it's really interesting. Uh, people produce power different ways based on your training, your genetic makeup, and yeah, what systems you've trained. You definitely have uh, two different systems. You can uh, produce power in, uh, with sugar and muscle strength, and it's very uh, temporary, uh, but explosive. And uh, sprinters have that. When I was a sprint freestyler, I definitely, uh, I'm, I'm more of a sprinter, apparently, at least with my upper body muscles. And then the uh, other way is by metabolism of fuel and oxygen that it's more uh, of a uh, longer term method, but you've done, so you're just genetically like really good at it uh, you're, and you've trained it so that your systems can convert all that to uh, energy um, for long periods of time very effectively and it doesn't, doesn't exhaust you. So they have a new presenter, a new host. He's a freshly retired, I think, a professional cyclist. And he did, remember the one guy did it, the very beginner novice guy did it for 40 seconds. And the guy that would be like one of, uh, like a half Ironman kind of guy, he's not really, he's not a triathlete, but he's a, uh, he likes doing time trials and stuff like that. So he uh, did it for three minutes, four minutes or something like that, which is pretty impressive. And then the professional cyclist, who also is the tallest cyclist, I think he's two meters and four centimeters tall, whatever that is in feet. He did it for 40 something minutes before he quit. <laughs> It shows you the difference. It's somebody that's been training, uh, you know, professionally, and it's uh, it was really cool. So there's another um, there's another podcast, Cycling News, or I can't remember what it's called, but they uh, they like going in depth about this. You produce power in different ways, and and on GCN too, a video that's related to that one is they talk about this and. You, just because somebody has an FTP, oh, an FTP doesn't really tell you anything except for how good they are for one hour. Uh, they took a, in another video, they took a sprint profession, a professional BMX rider, that's who it was, and he could generate huge amounts of power, 1,400 watts uh, for very short periods of time because that's what he's trained for because they hammer and then, you know, jump coast and hammer and then coast so it's all really what you trade for it was really neat uh, and long distance triathlon depends on the course that you're training for but really what you need to train for is to be able to go easy at a high wattage kind of like what that professional cyclist did 
you want to be able to sustain a high wattage for a long period of time. And uh, just doing sprints and nothing else is, uh, is not really the way to get there. So one way to get there is you do really hard weightlifting style intervals like, you know, very short ones and repeats. Uh, but then you immediately um, afterwards, well, warming up for and then immediately afterwards you pedal along easy or swim along easy or run along easy uh, to let your body absorb and reuse and recycle and clear out all the good stuff uh, that your body needs to do with uh, lactic acid and, and uh, fatigue. And because realistically, that's what happens in a long distance triathlon. Let's say on the bike, you're biking along and um, you've got to put the power down briefly to get around somebody, but then you need to pedal easy. You need to not uh, blow yourself out too often in long distance triathlon because it, it starts to damage your run. I think after three times of hard stuff. So what you can do is you train easy so that you're very efficient and you can go a long time, get in lots of miles, but then you mix in really hard efforts for a very short amount of times. Something rattling right there. It's my green tea. You mix in uh, very hard efforts for a short amount of times to expose your body to these surges that do happen and what it, it, and then also to keep going afterwards easy nice and easy and what that does is uh, it teaches your body to become immune to that to that stuff and you can keep going and then also it makes you stronger and then your baseline easy starts lifting uh, high uh, high tide lifts all boats I don't know if it's high tide but a tide incoming tide lifts all boats So it's good stuff. Uh, swimming this morning, 3,700 yards. I did uh, six interval, six sets of 10 minutes. The last 75, 50 to 75 yards of each 10 minutes, I did uh, sprint really hard pull so that it burned and then rested for a minute and then went back to swimming easy again, just like I was talking about. Really nice swim. My left shoulder hurts. Got a little bit of bursitis on the top from lifting something or whatever. Got to be careful with that. Anyways, that's it. I got to go into W to the ERK. Out. Hey, hey, rock stars. I had a glorious Zen run this morning. I'll tell you why in just a second. Well, actually, pretty much right now. First, I'm going to say that yesterday morning, I did, I think it was yesterday morning. Yeah, I did intervals on the bike. And it was just no it was <laughs> two days ago evening i did intervals on the bike that's what it was yesterday morning i swam two days ago evening i did intervals on the bike and what i did is i warmed up forever and then i did gosh like five or six eventually by the end of the hour really hard intervals and we were just talking about this 440 watts i think one time i hit 440 watts so I was probably doing, you know, 350 to 400 watts 
for brief amounts of time. And that's all I could do because I haven't done, I'm talking like really brief, like 30 seconds to a minute. And that's all I could do because I hardly ever do those. Uh, but that goes back to our different training systems, the uh, our different body systems and whatever you train for. And because I hardly ever do them, I'm not very good at them, but because I do lots of long distance riding, I've trained myself to be pretty good at that. So I can ride two hours at, you know, 260. I've got a workout where I did uh, a year ago or something like that, 270 watts for two hours. <laughs> and that's uh, that was really cool. Um, but that's 270 watts, so uh, that's not 440. But anyway... I was fine afterwards, felt good, but knowing that I hadn't hadn't done it in a while, uh, I was like, well, let's see how this works out. Uh, let's pay attention and be gentle with yourself. And yesterday morning swim, I uh, was doing fine. And what do you think we already talked about? And then uh, last night, I said, oh, I'm gonna run. I felt like running. And I got on the treadmill and started running. This was after work, but before dinner. Had plenty of energy. Heart rate was a little low, was a little tired, but not too much, just a tiny bit. And like I said, you can totally predict what your training is gonna be like, what your workout's gonna be like uh, based on your warm-up. And my warm-up uh, was one of these, the following. I get these a lot. Well, not a lot, but I know what this is. I'm all wobbly. My form is crazy all over the place. Like neurologically, I'm damaged or something. And I'm struggling to have nice, clean form. And my feet are tight. My lower legs are tight. And that is from the uh, body still recovering, the lower legs still recovering from that bike ride with the hard intervals. But I was going uh, really fast compared to usual. And I thought, well, that's interesting. But it was kind of wearing me out, all this stuff. So I ran just over half an hour and I walked a little bit for a few minutes and then decided just to cash it in and go, you know what? This is not being productive. And I got uh, off the trainer, uh, had a beer and a, a dinner. And went to bed. That's my cream. Went to bed. Uh, woke up this morning. Everything was set up for the treadmill. So I got back on the treadmill this morning after a night's rest and had a fantastic run. And uh, all that wobbly, banged up running, all that uh, had actually improved and helped me recover you know I'd gotten blood flow I'd worked out the tightness a little bit uh, but I didn't do too much so it was basically like smoothing things out the night before and uh, this morning had a wonderful run now on top of that I decided this morning to have a zen run and what that means is not looking at any numbers and responding only to what the body says going by feel and ignoring the numbers and the way you do that is you cover up the numbers on your treadmill 
go by whatever it feels like. Uh, you have a clock. And what else did I have? I have my cadence. I can see my cadence. Clock. I think that's it. I'll remember the other thing. There's three things, but... Oh, heart rate. Third. And by the end of the run of an hour on the treadmill... And I was... Uh, first, I started off listening to podcasts. Uh, Velo News is a good podcast. I was listening to them. And then I eventually switched over to music whenever I get bored of people talking or get annoyed with people talking. I switch over to music, and I'm running to a video of a through-the-woods point of view of a jog or a bike or what a hike or something like that. It's beautiful. And by the end of the run, I was running a nine-minute mile, a high eight, low nine, and feeling great at a nice heart rate, 140, and dug along real smooth everything was all worked out felt great felt really rejuvenated and fresh and happy and I knew that uh, by responding to my body I had actually gotten in a good workout and here's a trick you start running on the treadmill this is what I do I start running at four miles per hour on the treadmill that is the slowest jog possible and then pretty quickly like within a few minutes you're up to four and a half five miles per hour and anyway, what you do is uh, sense, listen for, feel for the, um, your toes starting to hit the end of the treadmill on the front. And when they start to hit the treadmill, you increase it by one-tenth or two-tenths of a mile per hour. This is while, all while uh, keeping your heart rate in the range that you want to keep it in. So I'm watching my heart rate. Heart rate's still in zone two. And as the legs start to stretch out and the body form gets more efficient, you start running off the front of the treadmill. Increase it just a little bit, a little bit, a little bit, a little bit. It's very gentle over an hour. And by the end of the hour, I was running um, at uh, 6.7 miles per hour. And then... Um, if you make a mistake and you start sensing that you're having to struggle to keep up the pace and you just back it down, you have to have that willpower. Don't try to make it happen. Kind of back it down. Just tap it in. <laughs> tap it in. And yeah, so I get off the treadmill, shut everything down, leave the fans on around the room on low to help ventilate the room out, and then go out into the backyard. We've got a pool. The pool is freezing cold. Uh, so I stand on the steps of the pool and I let my feet soak in that cold water, uh, which is kind of like uh, up to my knees. And that's kind of a uh, ice bath in a weird way. And I write notes on my uh, run and how it went. Things like, I finished at 6.7 miles per hour. And I was sitting there uh, enjoying a little bit of music and um, letting the ice on my feet, ice water, sort of. And I started hearing roosters crowing, and it made me smile. And I was like, oh, this is a really good run, because look at you. Look at you, Brett. <laughs> You're all happy. And, oh, no foot pain, nothing, you know, no injury. Whatever form was really nice. And the rooster situation goes like this. There's an elementary school near us. We live in a typical subdivision where there's no 
um, farm animals allowed. You know, you can have cats and dogs and stuff. But uh, we do live in Texas and on the edge of the city limits. So there are farm animals and countryside immediately, you know, within a quarter of a mile. But the elementary school that is within an eighth of a mile of us, maybe a quarter of a mile, has um, a, a project with students where they teach them a little, uh, just a tiny bit, as much as city kids can, about farm animals. And they, um, they, <laughs> they raise roosters. And sometimes while running on the sidewalk that goes around my neighborhood, there'll be, I've found roosters walking around. They've gotten out of their cage, chickens and roosters. And uh, it's really cool, actually. And you can tell that a, um, a workout is good, that you're in a good, a good place when little things kind of make you happy and kind of make you smile. It was really nice. So again, uh, Zen Run, turning off all the numbers and just going by feel, only increasing pace uh, as you're running off the end. And today's going to be a good day. Oh, oh and quitting a workout when you feel banged up. And, uh, but working out some, you know, but just not pushing it and cutting it short. And that's how you do things. And the next day, everything's better. Gotta have that, uh, self-control. All right, out. I'll be back. Hey, hey, on my way to lunch, gonna go grab a vegan cheese sandwich. Well, the cheese isn't vegan. So I guess vegetarian. (laughs) At Schlotzky's. It's a Texas-based restaurant. I used to work there a long time ago. And, oh, I almost dropped the mic. And I thought I'd talk a little bit about something cool. I've been setting PRs mountain biking lately. Not exactly how sure this is useful for on-road. It might be a little bit. But watching all this cyclocross on TV, on my time on the indoor bike... I've noticed uh, Vanderpool is, he's a freak. Like, uh, he's Saganish good. Like Peter Sagan, just, you're wondering what they're doing, to how they're so much better than everybody else so effortlessly. And I noticed something. That um, Vanderpool is a little bit bigger than the other guys. He's, like, taller and his shoulders are a little bit wider. So he's got more mass. And... Mass, once it gets moving, has more momentum. And he, this is in cyclocross specifically, he swings, you can see it. He might be doing it mountain biking too, but he swings wider than other people around turns. Like a lot wider. And there's two things going on there. One is once you, it, mass has momentum. Um, it's really un, an unfortunate circumstance if you have to slow down and then reaccelerate. And if you think it's bad in cars and wasteful in fuel, then like coming to a stop sign when you don't really have to, you should see it on bikes. That's why people want the biking laws changed where stop signs are changed to yield signs for cyclists because reaccelerating is so much work. So he's got more mass and he's swinging wider through turns looks like it's allowing him to keep up his momentum and then he's and once he's mastered this because he's been doing his whole life then 
he doesn't have to re-accelerate as much. Even though it's a wider turn and it's a little bit longer distance, maybe the because uh, there would be a counter argument. Well, but going further because it's a wider turn is um, you know more than uh, breaks even or doesn't doesn't really help uh, the fact that he's keeping up momentum. But maybe it, maybe it looks like it does because it's pretty impressive and that's something that he does and then the other thing is when you swing wider in a turn and you keep up your speed you bank more and then when you're banking more you're you might be what I've noticed mountain biking is if you go wider into a turn and lean more, then when you come out of the turn and you straighten back up, you can kind of pump out of the turn a little bit. And there's this thing in cycling called pump tracks where without hardly pedaling at all, you can pump the bike up and down. You can do the same thing on a surfboard, on a canoe. You can bounce up and down and it will actually start propelling you forward. You can do it on a skateboard left to right with the front. It seems odd that it would work at all, but it does. And so uh, two times now, that the two times that I've done this mountain biking, I've set PRs all over the place on my two-hour mountain bike route that I go on. Much faster and much more pleasurable, too, by uh, keeping up speed in the turns and using the very edge of the trail-ish um, to kind of act as a surface to bank against, kind of like a slope track, a slope double. Um, and it seems like if, if you don't have enough speed, you know, you're only going a couple miles an hour, it's not really worth it, you know, take the inside line. But once you get up enough speed, ooh, there's a Kia Telluride in all black, that's a nice little one. Uh, once you got up enough speed, and it doesn't seem like it's all that much. And you don't need any really embankment uh, built on the trail. Um, the natural uh, U-shape of the trail, of pretty much any trail, kind of already provides enough. That what, what I find myself doing is going on purpose to get that lean. Uh, this is kind of like I'm backfilling the whole problem is I'm like, okay, I want to lean more. I want to get more lean in my turns. Uh, and then the side effect of that is I'm actually going faster over the course entirely because to get that lean, I got to go faster. Well, then I'm going hotter in the turns and then I'm coming out of the turn faster and then I'm kind of pumping out of the turn a little bit I'm totally not doing that on purpose. I think it's maybe like a totally uh, on its own side effect. And this all started, oddly enough, when I uh, began mountain biking a day after, a few days after I rode a track, a mountain bike course in Tyler, Leander Park. It began with an L. And it's got this mountain bike course there. Let me check to make sure I'm in a parking spot. Yep. It's got a mountain bike course there um, that the locals, the kids and young adults, have built just crazy like berms and 
just wild stuff. And I found my, and it's a generally smooth track without too many roots or rocks. So I found myself, um, uh, wanting to keep up speed so I could go up onto the sides. And once I got comfortable doing that, then I found myself doing it more on flatter courses without all the berms built on the side. So that was a few days before Christmas. And then it was Christmas day. Uh, Kai and I went mountain biking and I set this crazy fast PR, um, because I, on this course, on the, this course near my house, it's not in Tyler, uh, because I was, um, riding, I'd gained confidence to go hotter in the turns and lean more. And then, um, I did a couple rides since then, same place. I was kind of tired, just kind of off but not really that into it. And then after watching, um, Vanderpool and cyclocross, uh, yesterday morning, um, I decided to put it to work again while riding Milliken and boom, did it again and set new PRs on PRs on top of PRs, stacks on stacks on stacks. <laughs> and it works. It really, really works. I need to go into Schlotsky's and order my sandwich, but I'll be back to talk about that and green tea and uh, some uh, you can stuff. All right. Be right back. Hey, hey, I'm back. <laughs> this is cool. I found a way on the Apple memos to uh, continue recording. Yes, sir. Is my wallet in here? Oh. I know where it is. Okay. <laughs> Bye. Kai's looking for his wallet. We're starting something I learned uh, long ago. The only thing, well, several things I learned from the Adam. Adam Carolla podcast, in spite of him being uh, somewhat unique and out of questionable taste. I do like his humor. But anyway, is put a bowl. We put a wicker basket. That's what we did. By the front door so that when you walk in... So we had hooks behind the door. And a tiny, thin, little crappy shelf. I mean, like two inches deep. That's stupid. And it's behind the door. So you're going to close the door and then turn around and then put stuff on there? No. So I kept telling Emily, telling Emily. I kept putting a bowl there over and over and over again. And she kept moving it and putting it back. Or uh, putting it away. Put a bowl so that when you walk in the door and you take a couple steps, you put your keys in it. And what's really weird, and then you'll never lose your keys. And what's really weird is that after a while you want to do it that's the weird thing if it's a bowl that you like um and so what i've noticed we got a wicker basket and now that there's three of us putting keys and wallets and stuff in there um the basket's too small it's a small wicker basket we went to at home and went shopping and another trick i pulled on emily (laughs) was i said you pick out the basket let's go to at home and pick out and you pick out a basket so we can do that now see then she has ownership over it it's kind of like letting somebody pick their own workout. We need to do an interval workout. You go pick one out. And then they start getting interested. They're engaged. And they want to do it. All right. I said I'd talk about you can and green tea. But I have one more thing to add before we do that is... 
the electronic shifting I've been rambling on and on about on my mountain bike, which is awesome. I also, uh, I didn't forget to charge it. I just thought it was fine. I checked it a few weeks ago. I don't really know how long ago I checked it. I felt like it was really recently and it had like two thirds of a battery left. And the battery just kind of depends on how much you shift and how much you ride. Well, it ran out at the very end on the last hill of my two hour ride. And I didn't get to mention this last part. Um, I was trying to set, I wasn't trying the whole ride at the end of the ride. I was like, Oh, I might set a PR on this huge two hour loop. And my shifting goes out with, um, one and a half hills left. So half, half of a hill I'm climbing it, shifting goes out and then I start going downhill and I cannot accelerate because my shifting is set in too tiny of a gear. And so I just went into arrow tuck and then another hill, um, spinning as fast as I can and then arrow tuck and then got back to the, uh, to the parking lot and still set a PR, but probably by like two seconds because of that problem. But that's been my incident. I was really lucky that the battery went out at the very, very end of my ride. And thank God it went out in a small gear. If I had spare cash, I would get a spare battery and then put it in a Ziploc, keep it charged in my um, in my saddlebag. But I do not have that kind of disposable income at the moment. So I need to put that thing on a charger. And I put it on the charger for a little bit to take it to the bike shop. Okay, so, oh, and another uh, disaster is my treadmill buttons. I have a, uh, they've stopped working. I have a Proform, either a 930 or a 950 CST. I took a picture of it. Let me look. Let's see if I can find the picture. Um, in case any of y'all have advice. It is a 905. Oh, I was off. 905 CST. And the buttons have started going bad. First, it was, so it's the lower row of buttons. And they do minor little things like uh, the quick incline, you know, like by 1%. And um, that went out first. And I was like, well, okay, hmm. I'll see if it comes back. I don't really I don't know why I thought that. And then uh, first the incline up went out, then the incline down. I don't know which one's first. And the, the it's been progressing like cancer. I got treadmill cancer across the bottom row of buttons. And now it, it moved across to the start stop button. And then it's now progressed to the... Um, the incline is on the right-hand side of that lower tray. So I put together the treadmill myself, and I'm suspicious that uh, there's like a clip of, of buttons that you clip in, you know, cables, wires, whatever. That has like a it's called like a little, little miniature harness that you clip in. I bet the harness is bad, or the it's gotten humid, so I'm going to try 
taking it apart. First, I'm going to search on Google for Proform 905 CST buttons not working. And then search the internet. And then uh, what I learned from triathlon coaching is as soon as you can, search for videos. Uh, that's how you fix your running form, by the way. Okay, then... Um, Nice treadmill run this morning, six and a half miles, finishing at uh, 7.2 miles per hour, which is a low eight-minute mile, feeling really good. And then, let's get to the UCAN and green tea. Uh, Timothy O'Donnell, Tim O'Donnell uh, is probably considered the fastest American at Kona. Uh, he routinely uh, gets top whatever at Kona, top five, um, over and over again. Hasn't broken through to a total win. Uh, the Europeans keep doing that and Australians. But he, uh, as far as Americans go, he's the one that, that pulls through all the way to the end. We have other Americans that are fantastic, but they, um, they blow up uh, before they get there. And... Before they get to the finish line, um, Andy Potts, Starkwoods, Wicks, other guys. But anyway, he started a, thre- a thread on Slow Twitch talking about his use of UCAN. So UCAN is a super starch. They used to be a sponsor of the show. I probably still have a discount code somewhere. But um, I don't know if UCAN's corn or potato. I think it's probably corn. And what happens is, is uh, they turn, they take the starch, heat it up, and then cool it. And what that does is it turns the starch into these like platelets that uh, makes it harder to digest, or takes longer to digest, but it's still carbs. And there's no fiber, but it kind of acts like fiber in that it takes a long time. Um, so it's a slow-acting carb, very slow-acting carb. And uh, reading the thread and stuff, I decided to try it. He was using, I don't know how many calories, let's say 100 calories if you can per hour, plus other stuff, like lots of other stuff. So we're talking 400 calories per hour probably on the bike. But the use of UCAN, what that does is it gives you stable energy. So if you have a house or building, that's your foundation, right? You don't want to build, you don't want to put too much horsepower on top of that thing or it's going to wreck the foundation. You need a strong foundation. All this fast-acting fuel um, gives you highs and, and terrible lows. And this swing and slow-acting fuel will bottom will protect the bottom so that you don't... It's like cami. It's like cycling shorts for your fuel. <laughs> It'll keep you from bottoming out so hard. And keep things nice and stable. And he credited that with a really good performance in Kona. That's what he's been using. And I had some laying around. It's a little bit old, but I had it. And I used it on my long workouts last weekend and really liked it. And it made me think. The difference was uh, when I used to do UCAN, it used to be pretty much just UCAN and then nothing else. Uh, the way Timothy O'Donnell's using it, and maybe another way to think about using it, is mixing it with other fuels. So it's a combo. So you have fast, medium, and slow. 
So fast would be simple sugars, uh, fructose, sucrose. Medium would be, could be maltodextrin. Sometimes maltodextrin is pretty fast. It just kind of depends. And then, but anyway, at least it's a mix. And then, um, and then really slow so that it, if you burn through stuff too fast, if your blood sugar gets too high and then your insulin overreacts, you've got carbs on board in your, uh, in your gut to fill the gap. That's like a much slower trickle, but it, it, uh, builds the, uh, the foundation so that you don't bottom out really hard. And I, so anyway, I tried that this weekend. I did like a hundred calories of you can and like, uh, hundred calories of, well, it's like 50 calories of simple sugars and then a hundred calories of, um, maltodextrin and salt uh, all together like per hour I don't know it was quite that much that's that's a little bit that's a little bit high anyway it's like 250 and it worked great I felt really good and also by the way um, one quarter one fourth of a teaspoon of salt not heaping just level uh, per liter of water and I put that, yeah. Uh, so on a mountain bike, I can have a camel bag that's about two liters of water, just over two liters. And uh, I put in um, half a teaspoon. So yeah, two one quarters, half a teaspoon of salt in the water as I was adding the water in and filling it up from a mountain bike ride. And what it does is it makes the water stick. It's just salty enough. And you can tell that works because later in the day when you're done, you're not craving salt. Um, now you can tell if you took too much salt because your feet will swell up. The tops of your feet, you won't be able to see your veins anymore. That's when you're overhydrated from too much salt. So last thing I wanted to mention was green tea. Another thing I've been trying out and I really like because it makes you feel good is one serving of green tea per hour while working out. Not early in the morning um, on the bike or on the run because I've already had coffee. I don't really need it. But any other time of day, it's like green tea is like 50 or 60 milligrams of caffeine, maybe less, maybe it's like 30. I don't know, but it's about half as much as coffee. And then uh, green tea also has, it's good for you. It's good for your teeth, by the way. It has, um, oh, it's got a little bit of fluoride in it, I think, which is good for your teeth. And then it has uh, L-theanine, I think is the protein, the amino acid in there. And L-theanine, you can buy that at the grocery store to make you feel better. Well, green tea has it in there naturally. And they didn't know this for generations, for eons. But in Zen and um, pretty much Zen, Zen practice when they meditate. Whoa, I just saw a car pull out from another car. That was nuts. In meditation and in Zen study, they always talk about green tea, and it put. They say it puts a sparkle in your eye. <laughs> so the caffeine kind of w- wakes you up, and then nicely, but not too much, like coffee does. 
And then the L-theanine makes you feel good. So you're awake and you feel good. And that helps you uh, meditate. So the way I put it in my workout fuel is... I wonder if these people in front of me are going to have a discussion about how the one car pulled out so hard in front of the other. (laughs) I'm behind them now. Uh, The way I... I do it two different ways in my workout fuel. I definitely like one way better. The better way is to make green tea with green tea packets. Um, You can either put it in the microwave for a minute uh, in a coffee mug. And that's about right. That'll make it nice and hot. Uh, Green tea is supposed to sit about four minutes. Um, before it's done and then I'll mix that into my fuel bottles and I'll make a, if I'm going to do like two hour workout I'll do two bags of green tea and one coffee mug with water heat that up because it's going to be it's going to end up being added to water anyway I find that this way uh, you tend to um, your Green tea tends to be, uh, you know, no residue. It's cleaner. It's easier to clean out. Whatever you use in, whether you're using a fuel bottle or, or a camelback bladder. The other way is matcha, matcha powder. Matcha powder um, is M-A-T-C-H-A. It's ground up green tea. And the upside is, is it mixes instantly. The downside is it's powder and it it's it's um well it's got fiber in it which is kind of good for you it's also leaves residue in your if you put it in your camelback bladder now you've got matcha powder residue later that you got to clean out where if you just did the green tea drink water green tea bag water then um you'll probably be you probably won't need to clean it anywhere near as much or as soon but anyway, I've noticed that I feel good the entire workout. I'm having a nice time. And it's barely, it's not too much. So you're like, you just think that you're having a good time. And then later you go, man, that was really great. What was different about that? You're like, oh yeah, the green tea. Okay, I need to go in to W to the ERK. I'll be right back. Out. All right, leaving the pool. Another great swim. Man, that you can stuff is perfect for swimming perfect 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 one serving about half an hour before you swim and then when you're in the water cranking out laps you uh, never get tired at the end and if anything energy starts pouring on that's really cool and then you don't that's one less thing to take with you to the pool, you know, like a Gatorade bottle or something like that. I still bring ice water because I get hot in the pool because it's kept it, you know, this jazzercise temperature for little old ladies that, and old men who don't want to don't get cold. <laughs> anyway, just passed a Honda Ridgeline in the parking lot, which if I wasn't so tall it would be the perfect car for me that thing is amazing with its trunk in the bed i have a uh, a friend that has one 
It is uh, something else, man. It's really cool. Okay. Uh, my treadmill broke. <laughs> the button stopped working. And then I started going online and looking. And people were saying, you know, you take off the the stickers on the panel. Because there's stuff under there and all that. And, I mean, I definitely know that that's the problem. But I might have ruined my treadmill. So now i got to start running outside more. Oh, so I got to be careful with my foot injury. The whole reason I got over my foot injury and strained calf was running indoors in a very controlled environment. And I guess my controlled environment is kicking me out of the house. Ugh. I have a Proform 905 CST. And the uh, thing supposedly to do is to take the... Uh, one thing that I might be able to do is replace the head unit, you know, like the whole dashboard thing. I am very much opposed to throwing it out just because some buttons stopped working. Um, I'm opposed to replacing the head unit. I wish I could just clean whatever it is that's screwed up. And uh, But I tried, and I, I know I'm talking away from the mic, but... Uh, know what to do anyway the other thing is let's see oh man so much cool stuff i discovered a 500 mile gravel it's really it's probably i don't know how much of it's gravel i need to look more at the website i know the first you know 10 miles at least probably is road but that's probably a lot of races like that you got to start off on pavement to get to the gravel um, but it goes through the pine forest of East Texas. I posted a picture of it on Instagram, Zen Triathlon, a picture of the route. And that looks really cool. And first thing Emily says is, <laughs> this better not require a new bike. And I was like, no, um, that's not what I'm thinking about. And it would be like next year. And one of the first replies on Instagram was, hey, this will get you a new bike. <laughs> A reason for a new bike and I'm like oh no um, I've got a really nice road bike that I could put uh, clip-ons on I have I have a nice tri bike but that's not it's too delicate on uh, dirt and gravel and I have a, uh, a nice road bike but the fork and chain stays might be too narrow to put a wide enough tire on there I would have to test it to see um, and then I have my Orbea mountain bike which would be actually really good and just put uh, slick tires on it and, and clip on aero bars um, that'd be pretty comfy probably and then I have a old aluminum frame Nishiki uh, kind of like hybrid town bike that's actually perfect for it. I've gone uh, mountain biking on it. It's really nice. It's just old and it would need everything on it to get it to work. It's a single speed right now. Kai's riding it to school, so it's nice and simple. Um, it's got redneck four-wheel drive on it. The back tire's bigger than the front tire. <laughs> It looks pretty cool. <laughs> it's fast. Oh, man. So I'm excited about that. 
uh, the reason I was thinking about it is I saw an article, which I'll talk about at the beginning of the show, about the guy that did this crazy, um, he climbed Mount Everest and swam the English Channel and rode across America. And I have done sort of that, almost. I have not done an epic, um, epically long bike ride. I have done 170 miles at once. Um, after doing 90 miles the previous day on an Ultraman. And I have done a 100-mile mountain bike ride, which was a mix of road. It was probably 50-50. Uh, you, drive, you ride on the road between two mountain bike parks. And, and one to the from mountain bike park A to B and then back to A again. You know, and riding all the mountain bike stuff too. It was a 100 mile. Um, I loved that, although I bonked probably halfway through and was just miserable the second half. But I was really happy when I finished. And then, that was really hard. The, uh, but in 2011, I ran, I started off the year by running a 100 miler. I probably did an Ironman, Ironman Texas. And then I qualified in a triathlon to swim the Alcatraz triathlon. So I swam the Alcatraz straight. And then I swam across Lake Tahoe that same summer. So we're kind of getting in that territory, right? So Lake Tahoe is one mile longer than the English Channel. It's claim to fame. Um, High altitude. And I was coming from sea level. Uh, cold. Uh, it took me 13 something hours. Um, so a hundred mile trail run race and a s- sort of like English Channel um, swim crossing in the same year. And I don't know if I did. I don't think I did that hundred mile mountain bike uh, that same year. But then like two Ironmans that same year. Um, I bet. So I'm thinking. Uh, you know, but I've definitely not done. I was telling Emily a little bit about, about this. She's like, "You've done crazy long bike stuff," and I go, "Really? I haven't. Not like on the scale of what this guy did. You know, um, like bike across Texas. You know, I'm not a huge fan of long epic road rides um, because it's a really good way to get hit by a car, riding places uh, that might be questionable, and you don't really know until you kind of get there, and then you might get there during a bad time of day." decide to ride it anyway because you have to and the next thing you know you get hit um the grand fondo thing in town in, in march is most that's why that's the that's what they say is the reason that gravel is getting so popular is you can ride a lot and it's interesting it's challenging to to a point it's not crazy hard um and it's much safer because there's much fewer cars on gravel if there was enough cars, if there was more cars, they'd pave it, usually. Uh, so that was really cool, uh, looking at that. And then last night, uh, I thought I would get close to wrapping up this show with describing my bike ride. I've got a cool workout for you to try out. I rode for an hour, and I was riding around the east end of Hawaii, the big island, the island that Kona is on. Uh, there's lots and lots of jungle on the northeast side. It's really beautiful. And um, 
I was riding it free ride, like a no, no smart trainer stuff. You know, I was controlling the trainer, how much resistance I wanted. So after uh, at 15 minutes in of my hour ride, I did an interval, a hard interval, till failure, uh, which took about 40 seconds, 45 seconds, going pretty hard. Not sprinting. You're trying to keep the aerobic part out of it, but just so it burns like you're doing a weightlifting set. And I did the first one. I don't remember which which one I started with, but there's a really cool thing you can do. You alternate arrow position and then sitting position. And this makes time fly by. So you do, every five minutes you do an interval, but you do the interval in the other position than the one that you just did. So let's say at 15 minutes in, I did an interval to my legs almost uh, failed um, in the arrow position. And then at 20 minutes, I did it in the sitting upright position. And then at the 25 minutes, I did it in the arrow position. And at the 30 minutes, I did it in the upright position. And this is good stuff because you're using your muscles differently you can tell that it does not fatigue one set of muscles very much to do intervals in the other, to do them in the other position. So really, you're kind of, in a way, you're getting 10 minutes in between. And after the first interval, try to stay in the arrow position to recover as much as you can and go back to almost no resistance and pedal easy like you're kind of pedaling downhill. And... Triathlon's all about efficiency and cramming in the, the most amount of stuff the smartest way that's repeatable. And this way, you're getting in like four to five intervals. Um, for each position, for both positions. Both positions, each. They really don't seem to affect each other too much. It's pretty cool. As long as you recover nice and easy. Like drop all the resistance off and pedal easy and then slowly pick up speed. Anyway, that was a lot of fun. Had a good time. And that's it. I think this might be our last entry and then we're going to wrap up the show. Got a big weekend ahead. Coming up. All right. Be right back. Hey, hey, I'm back. This is definitely going to be the last entry because we need to wrap up the show and get it out there. I had a... Really interesting experience running last night after doing some digging around on the interwebs and then this morning on the bike. Oh, well, one, my treadmill's broken, so I ran outside. <coughs> oh, wow. And I tried something new. Uh, you can, which I'm a big fan of. Oh, sorry, I was honking at Kai and his friend biking to school. Because it works generally. Um, it's very expensive. It's like $60. It's like about $2 a serving. And while I am a huge fan of what works, I'm also very much not a fan of uh, paying too much for stuff. Everybody, people that make triathlon stuff for us thinks everybody is a dentist or a lawyer. It's the big joke. And that we have uh, endless disposable cash. <laughs> and 
a lot of us don't, especially if you're younger, you don't. So you're trying to save money on this stuff. And if you're doing uh, triathlon, you're, you're working out a lot, a lot of times a day. So this stuff starts to add up. So any place where you can find money savings is a, uh, is a huge bonus. So I was digging around. Has anybody posted yet? Because I look every once in a while for stuff like this. Has anybody posted yet a way to save money on you can like an alternative fuel and boom i found a very interesting article blog post something i found several and then uh dig dug did some more digging well did some more digging and i think i may have something i'm going to be testing it out over the next uh forever until it stops working and you can Basically, the gist is this. Uh, you can is actually a super duper version of cornstarch. Cornstarch actually works great for a long uh, burning fuel. And it just didn't work great enough for what you can was invented for, which is like six, seven, eight hours of uh, slow burn for a serving or two or however, you know, however much it would take. Okay, so UCAN was invented for people, kids that uh, had a problem uh, storing glycogen. If they if they uh, eat or drink sugar, they immediately pee or poop it out maybe. Uh, probably pee it out. Uh, their body just genetically can't hold on to it. And so they uh, have to eat basically on a sugar drip all the time. And then so they can't sleep through the night because they're constantly having to eat sugar. And our carbs were. And the uh, <clears throat> the point is that uh, they were doing cornstarch. And cornstarch worked halfway through the night. It's so like four and a half hours. <laughs> cornstarch lasts before it's spent up. And we're spent. In Texas, we add up to everything. Uh, I'm trying to think of an example. I'll think of one in a minute. But... We also add fixing to fixing to go to the store. The funny thing is, what fixing is it broken? Are you broken? Anyway, uh, cornstarch is super duper cheap, and I found a blog uh, article, whatever, people trying it. It's kind of hard to find actually, and that it worked great. Okay. So I decided I would try it. Went through the pantry, found uh, cornstarch, just like they were using it in this thing. And, oh, so you can, they basically, I think they just take cornstarch and then temper it, you know, heat it up, cool it down, and then it adds another few hours to how long it takes to digest it. And, ooh, it's foggy out here. Need to be careful. And doing so, uh, the, the testing, the first thing in my old age and wisdom I've learned now is gently test it, uh, first by seeing if it hurts your stomach. Number one, that's the first thing to do. So what I did yesterday afternoon, I found some at lunch. I went home for lunch real quick and that's where I found it in the pantry. So after lunch... I had, I don't know, about 100 calories of 
cornstarch. Mixed it in water. And all by, by the way, it mixes way better than you can. It doesn't settle as heavily as quickly to the bottom. It's similar, but not quite as bad. And then... And by the way, I think cornstarch is probably like two cents a serving. I don't know. Maybe, maybe 25 cents. The... Uh, drank it and actually mix it with a little bit of Diet Coke give it some flavor and never noticed anything the rest of the afternoon was totally fine and no gas or anything like that although I did have a little bit of gas but I think the can from the morning was actually bothering my stomach that was before lunch and see that's the thing like uh, plain can, my stomach seems to uh get gassy off of it sometimes and that's a problem anyway I it's after lunch didn't seem to be a problem and then got home from work and decided to try it on my run and a thing about running here and lots of places but for example, Texas, is it's hot and humid almost all the time. So uh, you just cannot carry enough water with you. So it's nice to, to pre-fuel and have that on board and then go run uh, without worrying about at least that. So I got home and had 100 calories or so of... I used the can Scoop. I think it's about 100 calories. Of uh, cornstarch. Tried that. And uh, it took me about half an hour after that to get running. Ran. Had even energy the entire time. Liked it. And I also brought with me about, I think, 50 to 60, maybe 70 calories, probably 50, of Gatorade mixed in my water bottle that I had with me uh, running just for a security blanket. And had a remarkably even energy run. Felt great the entire time and felt good at the end. So I was like, okay, doesn't seem to be but doesn't seem to be bothering my stomach. Got to the house and Zoe, Kai and I were talking outside and Zoe ate, our dog ate all my pizza that I was going to eat after running. And then uh, stayed up a little while talking with Kai about stuff and then went to bed, got up this morning to ride my bike and I tried my cornstarch thing uh, before my ride, a cup of coffee, added some cornstarch to the end of the cup of coffee that way the coffee wasn't like scalding hot because that alters the chemistry of things if you put uh, cornstarch and you can in very hot liquids it kind of melts it it ruins the uh, the slowness of it and so the coffee was starting to get lukewarm and so that's when I added the cornstarch and drank that and then um, drank a little bit of water after that while well, I'll get ready to get on the bike had a bike ride and had super even energy the entire bike ride uh, with no, I wasn't worried about the energy on the bike ride so much because I don't have problems with energy in the morning workout so much. Uh, stable blood sugar, but like I do in the uh, evenings. But the uh, it didn't upset my stomach, and so I'm excited. We'll uh, we'll see where this goes. We'll follow up with uh, on the next episode, maybe of how that's working. Wouldn't that be cool if it's something that's uh, underutilized and people don't know about and it works great and it's super cheap? I used to be a barefoot runner and half the reason was to save money on shoes. (laughs) 
Uh, that wasn't the reason I started, but then afterwards I was like, man, I'm saving my time. I got shoes. Let's keep doing this. All right. That is it. Uh, oh, I had a wonderful run outside. That was really nice. I live where the streets are kind of random and up and down and it's all over the place. So it's actually almost like trail running. It's pretty cool. Got me motivated to maybe run uh, Rocky Raccoon, like a lap of the Rocky Raccoon, 100 or 50 trail run pretty soon. Okay, that is it. Uh, if you want to help support the show, you can, uh, or if you want to follow the show, let's do that first. Just want to follow first. Then I'm on Twitter as Zen Triathlon, and I'm on Instagram as Zen Triathlon, and I think, oh, we have ZenTriathlon.com, and I think I forgot to mention last episode that you can help support the show. If you like the coaching tips and uh, advice and insights that I give on the show, then you can support the show by going to ZenTriathlon.com and looking on the side of the page, and there is a PayPal link to help support the show, and you can do a one-time donation, recurring donation, whatever you want, and it is awesome. I use that kind of fundage to buy stuff to put on the show. I looked in there and I actually had almost enough. I keep that PayPal account separate from Emily. She can't touch it. <laughs> and it's separate for it's separate from us. It stays in that account and it's used only for Zentri stuff. Uh, I saw that I might have enough money to test to buy and then test out a Garmin Varia, the rear radar thing. That'd be kind of cool. So I might do that. All right, that is it. Everybody stay safe out there. Work the uphills, cruise the downhills, and keep the rubber side down out